So the other day I was pulling my car out from the garage, which is the back of our house, and there's an alley-type thing with rock, and so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling out to the street, not going very fast, and the slowest squirrel ever starts just walking across in front of me with zero urgency, and I was like, I hit the brakes, and I was like, wow, that's weird, and pulled by him, and then I was like, wow, it looks like he's carrying a, like a big, like a big fluffy toy in his mouth. And I look over, and the squirrel has a dead mouse in his mouth. So number one, at least now I understand why he wasn't all that worried about getting across this little drive that quickly, because this is the biggest score of his entire life. But I mean, for the rest of us, I mean, he was a pretty big squirrel. I mean, who knows? Just keep your head on a swivel. All right. We're somewhere up that food chain. This is Robbie Hart, and we're out of office. We'll come back for Indian summer. We'll come Hello, this is Robbie Hart. Today is Thursday, April 23rd, and this is Out of Office. Today, I am excited to introduce a, a friend of mine, a relatively new friend of mine, someone I met at the last job I had working for other people, like as an FTE, right? We all work for other people, my wife, others, whomever. But we met about three years ago, I think, or two years ago, I can't remember exactly. And he is the uh, one of the co-founders of a company called Wiser that does some interesting things. And market research and analytics. And right now, well, I'll let him share that. Let me introduce uh, Idan Giva. Hey, great to, be, great to be here, Robbie. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. So where, where are you out of office? <laughs> I'm so out of office, you can't even imagine. I'm in, in the distant Israel. Okay. Okay. Well, where do you normally office? So put that in context. <laughs> uh, my normal office is in Manhattan, New York City, New York. That's far away. So, uh, so you're in you're in, you're in Israel. Uh, tell us about that. What 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 made you head there? So um, surprisingly, um, well, as you can detect by my accent, I'm originally Israeli. So um, I lived there with my wife and two young kids, and we don't really have a family um, in Brooklyn where we live. Um, so we thought, you know, just in case something really horrible happens during COVID, uh, might as well be around family so that somebody could take care of the kids. Uh, really uh, <laughs> not that great of a start to the show, but you know, COVID is um, challenging everybody and uh, we decided that it's the best. You know, obviously it doesn't matter where you work from remotely. It's Brooklyn, the moon, sure, sure, Israel, sure. as long as you have stable internet. Well, absolutely. So we'll segue into that. But I think it's also, um, you know, this is why we're here is because of COVID, right? So I think it's it's fair game to to discuss for sure. And, and you know, certainly uh, I have to imagine you guys feel a little bit better where you are right now than being in the epicenter of the, uh, you know, of the entire pandemic right now in New York City, of course, where just because of geography and space and all that is going to be one of the more difficult places to to, yep. you know, to, to deal with this. So. So how is everyone there? Everyone doing okay? Yeah, um, actually surprisingly better than I thought, but uh, yes, over, <laughs> overall, yes. Everybody's Excellent. healthy and uh, somewhat entertained. Wonderful, wonderful. So we'll come back to uh, your Israeli connections and, and background and stuff, because that's super interesting. But tell us a little bit about your company now and, and what you do. 
Yeah, so um, we started Wiser, um, three founders, um, actually like five and some years ago. Um, and we got a really cool unexpected investment by Nielsen, uh, which, I mean, they've been great partners. And also they helped us realize that we've really gotten this all wrong. Um, so uh, it took us uh, about two years to completely pivot. So around three years-ish, we pivoted um, into an enterprise um, SaaS solution that basically provides end-to-end -end, um, consumer insights to organizations um, completely automatically. Um, we started off as a survey play, meaning that we ingested survey data and presented it automatically. So basically the entire thing end-to-end, -end, um, taking the data, analyzing it, um, being able to customize it to the customer's view and all that. And uh, now we're implementing our vision of augmented analytics, which is essentially augmenting survey data with social data, search data, I mean, basically a lot of different disparate sources into um, something that's more holistic on the insight front. Um, and that's really exciting. We're all very excited about the future. Awesome, great. So when Idan says Nielsen, since we have gonna we have listeners from all over the the, the spectrum of job experiences and stuff, he's referring to the the Nielsen uh, Corporation that does TV ratings, but also is a behemoth in the world of market research, market insights, point of sale data, and the like. It is true. Amongst other investors who are also uh, dear to us. Yeah, of course. I'm sure they are all equally dear to you. So, yeah. <laughs> in fact, each one of them individually is your best investor when you're speaking to them, right? Exactly. You know, okay. you know the, you know how to. I'm just yeah. guessing. I'm just guessing. I've just <laughs> seen. I've just seen the masters at work. So, um, well, tell us. Okay, so you you founded the company or you co-founded this five something years ago. How? What? What does that look like? Uh, Man. That is, um, so the, fortunately for me, it wasn't the first company I founded, but it was the first company that I um, had global aspirations for. Okay. So it was rather different because from the get-go, I you know, was going to get funded through um, external money, right? Like VCs and angels and all that. Um, so basically you kind of imagine like being thrown out in the desert, needing to figure out like you just know the layout of the desert, but you don't know how to survive. You don't know where to go, uh, what to do tomorrow. Um, and it feels almost like, you know, the beginning of a creation. You got how to, to be able to build, basically build a schedule and execute um, against it from nothing. It's like, what do I do now? Do I start designing my first prototype? Do I uh, poke investors? Do I, it's like basically freedom that you don't want to have. <laughs> Way too much freedom. Right, right. Like the desert, which I think like like knowing the landscape of the desert, it's like it's just sand, right? I guess it's sand right, and hills, exactly. but knowing how far the desert is, is really important, I suppose. Yeah, looking for some oasis uh, to, you know, drink some water in. Yeah, no, so that's, that's right. It's like, it's like, where do you start? Um, that's a, I think it's probably a challenge for, well, for everyone launching a project that doesn't have some kind of defined boundaries. So what do you do? Yeah, I think um, it's different if you're like a first time uh, entrepreneur in that respect versus if you're like a repeating entrepreneur. Um, for the first time, you're trying to really figure out what you need to do and you're, you're basically all over the place. So you're like starting to, you know, bring up the idea with friends and they're giving you feedback and you're looking for mentors and you start, you know, obviously you need to put together a team um, and they, you know, they, they kind of, 
serve as your go-to army, right? In the beginning, um, some people do tech, some people do, I don't know, product, financials. Um, there's not a lot to do um, from a managerial standpoint, right? Like from an administrative standpoint, but there's a lot to do in terms of setting things up. Um, and as a starting um, entrepreneur, you're trying to find a way to get money as soon as possible, or at least some of us, we did, um, you know, get like, can you fund me? Can you fund me? And it's like, you make all the mistakes in the world um, in that sense. Um, as a second, third, fifth time entrepreneur, I, I'm imagining that I would do it completely differently and, you know, uh, have a very specific vision that I would start executing and start building against. Um, even before I think about external money, but I think strategy and planning ahead is the key. Um, being able to understand how that world works. And the one advice that I would give if I had to, um, obviously the, I, we don't have enough time for all the advice, that I <laughs> but um, the one thing that I would say um, is plan backwards. Um, don't, play, don't, don't plan forward. Don't say, I'm going to do this and this is my next milestone and then figure it out. Try to think what is your ultimate or what is your end game and then build backwards say how much what am i going to do in order to get to my end game final destination and how much money if at all do i need to get funded in order to get there um, and obviously know that there's going to be a lot of bumps um, on the road and you're going to get many um, shifts and turns and all these things but um, the important thing is to be dynamic and to understand that there's a vision and you're building toward it. And even though some things sometimes may not work out the way you wanted, the, again, dynamic thought and mindset would lead you to where you want to go. Seems like those are good skills to have. Oh, right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> a little flexibility, ability to be dynamic. So let's come back to wiser. So what, what role do you play? So you said you're the co-founder. How many founders are there? Three. Three. Okay. And what do you? What's your role now in the in the organization? So I um, mainly do three things. Um, I am responsible. My title is chief business officer, which I thought initially was a made up title, but then I started seeing more people on LinkedIn with the same one. So I'm like, woohoo! <laughs> um, <laughs> they were all made up the first time. Yes, exactly. Um, so basically, I'm responsible for anything that has a dollar value on top of it, um, whether it's I'm not the, the chief revenue officer of the company, but I um, do um, a lot of high level business development. Um, I do um, a lot of fundraising, obviously, you know, investor relations and all that. Um, and, and obviously work very closely with the product and marketing team. So basically, I am in constant communication with everything that either is revenue or turns into revenue or would bring us revenue through external cash injections. Gotcha. Okay. Um, that's that. Um, then I also lead the U.S. Um, operations or U.S. establishment, U.S. office. Um, so, you know, U.S. is our market. Israel is too small. I don't know how many people know, but Israel is like literally the south size of New Jersey. Um, and we have global aspirations, as I mentioned, but the U.S. obviously is the the coveted market, the one that we um, always wanted to um, conquer. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad choice of words for an Israeli, but um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, maybe, we want to maybe occupy. Not. Um, yeah. So um, we want to rule, yeah. want to destroy the United States. Oh no! God forbid! No, no. We don't do that. <laughs> we wanna, I live in Skokie. Over. I'm in the motherland. You know, Midwest. <laughs> yeah <laughs> wonderful place by the way 
It is. Uh, go, go pack go. By the way, I promised I'd say that once at least. Um, so yeah, that so overseeing U.S. operations and um, you know it's just, uh, just different miscellaneous things like you know just boring stuff, administrative stuff. <laughs> well, that's the hard part. I think I found like in in me just starting a one person consulting company, which is a much smaller endeavor, doesn't require outside investors until like now. But yeah, uh, <laughs> but. Um, but still, like the all the little things just have to be done to run a business. Just the paperwork and the uh, everything that that's what I found to be the hardest part at first is just keeping up with that. And I just let it go half the time, and then you know do QuickBooks in one big batch in November <laughs> for six months uh -huh. or something. So um, okay, so how do you do what you do? So how, what's your day look like? What do you what does your job look like that way? Man, um, that. Um, so when we had the preliminary chat, I, I mentioned to you that, um, I, I, that probably not just me, but probably most co-founders and entrepreneurs have a, a thing called routineless routine, meaning that it's very difficult for me to describe my job in like, I wake up in the morning, I drink my coffee, I go, I start my whatever software and then I work up, um, all day, you know, within that software. What I do is essentially I make sure that. Um, everything within my jurisdiction, meaning, you know, being on important client calls, participating in, um, you know, strategizing regarding big RFPs, um, being in contact with important people um, within the industry, um, you know, market research people or analytics people, um, product leaders, etc. Um, obviously, being in touch with investors all the time is important. Um, existing investors, future investors. Um, future refusers or regretters <laughs> um and uh and and a lot of team management honestly i mean a lot of working with my team um you know being there for them talking about stuff talking about challenges talking about successes um failures sometimes um it's really important i think it's one of the most important things um is to be able to once you have a team uh you know which is again in the beginning you're you're your own team and you know that full right. well um, once you have a broader team, you have to be able to, um, you know, lead by example, but also manage. So that, that's obviously a, a big challenge and, and it takes up, um, fortunately, um, some of my day. And it's great. I, I love it. I think it's one of the best, the most re rewarding parts of that job. Oh, that's wonderful. It's good to hear, too, because it's one of the most important. It, it may be the most important thing in business is or in life really is is good leadership and people that understand the responsibility that comes along with leadership you know and taking care of people because they are your responsibility when you hire them uh right yep. it's uh, yeah and then i will say covid19 really puts you to the test in that sense right it's like how do you behave how do you react how do you um keep your head level right how do you not overreact or also underreact and see um as much as you can see forward right like in terms of like who knows what's going to happen next month um <laughs> right but still you, you try you have you try to have that foresight and at least create some scenarios and um you know best case worst case um etc are you sharing that with your with your team as you think all about the time stuff that's, all the time yeah i think transparency great. is so important you have to be transparent they trust you and you trust them and that transparency is key for you to be able to um you know kind of meet them at, at 
the end of their rainbow when everything uh, goes back to normal. Absolutely. And, and what I think we're seeing right now is that when you have a culture of transparency, times like this are not as hard because you've built that trust. You've built that ability to be honest with people and say, here's what I'm looking at. Here's what I'm dealing with. I don't, I don't even know if I've got the answers yet because I'm waiting. At, it's That's the uncertainty that we're all living in. But you, yep. you have to be able to do that. And so, and so many organizations that aren't functional really don't have anything remotely close to a culture of transparency. It's a political culture. It's a secrecy culture. It's a right. you know, information's mine. And I can't, you can't share things with your people because then they'll know things. <laughs> and, um, but do you this sense is impossible that a now. now. Do you sense that since COVID uh, started that there's been some sort of change in that sense? I don't know, but I, I, I hope that people learn the lessons that they can see around them about who's being successful and who's not and what their mm -hmm. behavior looks like. And when the behavior is transparent, clear, honest, frank, you know, even when what they're saying is painful, uh, I think that that comes through really well, but who knows, you know, I, I, I always like to think that people will get the best out of this. Right. But I, I hope so. Same. So, Let's let's wind it back a little bit. What, tell me a little bit about how you came to be, you know, where you are today in life. Jesus, that's the weirdest story in the history of the world. Oh, um, so maybe. I <laughs> probably probably not. Um, <laughs> I started off in a really kind of no. I I, I don't want to use any profanities uh, on the air, but like a, a, mm, I can oh. bleep I can bleep it out. It's a bleep hole. Um, in Israel somewhere, um, and I, I very early um, undiscovered that I have a knack for basketball, so I, I became a basketball player when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine. Um, in Israel, you have to specialize. Like, it's not, I love the fact that in the U.S. you can diversify and you can play some baseball and then football and then basketball, whatever, you can just juggle, right? In Israel, it's like, what are you good at? And then if you're good at something, just stick to it. Um, and there's no, like you it's very rare that you shift right, between like I'm a soccer player and now boom, like I'm 15 and now I'm a basketball player. It doesn't happen a lot. Right. Um, and, and you that, you know that well with your son, right? Like he's a soccer player and used to be like, there's a lot of. Sure. And there's always, I feel like in the U S there's a good culture of pan sport participation, which actually builds good athletes that have cross sport exactly. skills, but they, but you get to a point where it's 12, 13, something like that. And then boom, they start, they, they almost have to, if they really want to pursue playing in college or playing professionally or just playing even competitively in high school, they really have right. to start allocating their time and focusing, True. you know, 12, 13, it seems like, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that ended up in basically me being, um, captain of my high school team, captain of the uh, local club, which in Israel and Europe, it's um, there is a club, right? It's so like you know, Maccabi, like Barcelona, or, uh, Barcelona. Yeah, you know that T Tottenham Hotspur, which we both sure. um, share a fandom toward. Um, to so um, that's that. Um, so what happened was I turned up, turned out being captain of both teams at the same time, um, and then I received the wonderful news of being summoned to the national team uh, summer camp, which everybody were like, "Oh my God, that's so big!" And then I'm like crap, you know, F that I'm retiring. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? Why are you retiring? It's like, I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I was, you know, I was a uh, uh, teenager, right? So like, I don't want to be doing this for like seven days a week. Um, so I just literally <laughs> retired. Um, 
despite everybody's uh, disdain and concern. Um, and I, I actually started uh, developing uh, love towards something that you also share with me, which is music. Um, so when I was very young, uh, my parents discovered that I have perfect pitch. They took me to this uh, conservatorium or whatever you call it. And they said like, this, this kid has perfect pitch. And I said like, so what? Um, so then I kind of reutilized that. And um, when I was 15, before I retired, um, I started picking up guitar. Uh, my dad was actually in a, in a band that ended up being one of the most famous bands in Israel, but he, but he actually quit the band right before that happened. <laughs> I see. This but, is a, this is a, a running theme. It's a running theme. So no, you should leave when you, as soon as you leave wiser, they'll make billions. Oh no, no, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> fortunately, fortunately we make the right choices. Evidently I have to say for a, for a teenager, I did make the right choice for school, for um, sports because in Israel, if you're not like a, big 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 star like you know uniquely different unbelievably talented star um you're not going to do well so you're just basically going to waste your time and of, of course there's also the army so that's going to be like a big deal right um so i think it was a right decision for me to pursue a, a career in music um i did produce a musical when i was 18 um that was uh, written by um actually quite a famous person in israel famous uh, playwright um, that was pretty fun. And then when I was in the army, I was in the army. I hated every moment. That's great. Um, three years <laughs> of my life gone to waste. Um, but that's, that's not, that's not a choice though, right? It's not, well, it's not formally a choice. There's shady ways to evade it, but I chose not to take that. There's always path, shady ways so. to evade anything as yeah, we yeah. see in every country. So, true, but no, you true. did the honorable thing, served your country. I did. Hated I every did. minute of it, but yes, I, I, <laughs> I hate it every second. Um, <laughs> I came back to being a musician. I worked at a studio. I recorded um, quite a few songs and I mastered um, several instruments doing that. Um, so it was pretty fun because I like recorded complete playbacks playing the instruments that sure. I was using. So it's like, yeah. you know, keyboard, guitar, bass, all that, drums. Because uh, that was pretty fun. Um, but the problem is, or was, maybe still is, is that um, <laughs> you're, you're either poor or doing really well as a musician. It's like, there's, there isn't anything in between, at least in Israel, it was that, um, that right. way. So I started, you know, kind of uh, working with my dad on, like he had, a he still does have a company um, that does market research. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I, you know, started doing all the um, shitty work <laughs> of, you know, like field work and all that. I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to You mean all the, so you did all that, you got to do all the jobs in market research. Yeah, I got to interview people on the phone and a face-to-face -face and also um, um, very weird face-to-face -face interviews also that I wouldn't, probably wouldn't say on the air. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, that was fun. But also I learned a lot about market research. That kind of put me in the position where I, I got to learn about that um, industry. Um, I actually did um, have that entrepreneurial um, bug that started uh, kind of tingling at that point, so I actually pursued um, a, like a nice little um, e-commerce um, shop with my friends uh, for musical instruments. That went mediocrely okay. <laughs> Did you make um, money? We broke even, okay. pretty much. Um, well, that's we, we better than get losing an, money. We got we got an investment. I think the the greatest news was that we broke even and uh, returned every dime of the investment um, because we wanted to close shop. So we kind of really broke even uh, literally. That's cool. I mean, that's actually not bad because you got the experience of doing it. Yes. Yes. Oh, I learned so much. Um, uh, and then I uh, 
had another experience, which I think needs its own podcast on how not to be an entrepreneur in anything that relies on bureaucracy and regulation. So yeah, that was uh, pretty ambitious. Um, it could have gone really well. Uh, government didn't want it to go well, too bad. Uh, but I did learn a lot, um, not just the regulation thing, but also obviously other things operationally and product and stuff. Um, then I came back to market research. Um, there was a software company that at the time was um, competing with like really, I don't know if you remember those names, Nepo, um, Dimensions. It's like different um, survey Dimensions, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like um, Confirmit was only starting. Right. Or was only starting to break out during that time. Oh, wow. Qualtrics, yeah. Qualtrics was like uh, basic at this point. Um, and, and for so, everyone who doesn't know, Qualtrics sold for $8 billion yes. to, yes. to, uh, to Oracle? SAP. SAP, SAP. SAP, SAP, sorry. Yes. Um, and all of Utah rejoiced. So, <laughs> so technically, I took the company which had zero revenue um, and no product. Um, and I uh, built the product um, with the help of the people who, like a really small team we had. Um, it was actually just about 2008. So we had a larger team and then it was 2008. Then a smaller um, team. Yes, then we had a smaller <laughs> team. But actually I have to say that we managed to survive it pretty well because we gave a, a innovative solution. That the thing that we, now it sounds like table stakes. I know you have non-research um, listeners, but um, you'd be surprised user interface at that time was not at all um, table stakes. True. So the fact that we've built a sophisticated enough, um, you know, software for surveys that has a, a user interface was like, oh my God, mind blowing. Yeah. In 2008, um, and I, nine, that, that was a big deal. Yeah. Especially for pros, right? Like you had a survey monkey. I'm sure everybody knows survey monkey. Sure. Um, that, that was, that was always, always going to be a good solution for, for, you know, these types of users. But then if you had to go to like an agency, um, at, at the peak, we actually sold to a company called GFK, which I'm sure you sure. know of, um, yeah. which is like, I think a top five market research agency in the world. Absolutely. Right? So, absolutely. German based, uh, yep. headquarters in Nuremberg. Uh, yep. Yep. I've driven by um, there. <laughs> so we, so we sold it, uh, sold uh, licenses to them. That was pretty much the peak of my success there. Then I decided to start wiser. Um, and that's how we connect to the present. Excellent. Very good. Well, thank you. That's, uh, that's so interesting. Um, so no thoughts of going back and playing professional basketball now? Nah, I'm too, uh, overweight for that now. <laughs> <laughs> You're too well, I'm not really overweight, but, uh, I, there's probably many things. Right? Your body's not, yeah, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, no, no. That's not if only you would have taken that chance. Uh, so, so what do things look like right now for you? Obviously you're working from Israel. Um, yep. what does that look like? How is work getting done? So much like I guess any business that isn't, um, you know, home care and, or, you know, stuff that's uh, like, you know, toilet paper and stuff like that. Uh, there's been a lot of, um, a lot of confusion, a lot of, uh, uncertainty. Um, you know, we, we didn't really know how that would affect our market. We mainly target companies that do marketing, right? Like they have heavy marketing, uh, consumer goods companies, such and such. So, um, we, the first thing we did was we made sure that we had a recovery plan or a strategic plan in place. And <laughs> I don't know how many people are uh, in the startup business listening to this, but startups don't have recovery plans. They don't have right. strategic 
disaster, yeah, disaster recovery plans. plans, right? Totally. I mean, you, you do probably just for IT, like what happens if your cloud suddenly gets deleted, but otherwise you don't get ready for like a global pandemic. That's sure. not something that you spend time on. Um, so we did. I bet you they'll have up. this in B schools now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, that's going to be far enough for people to just not care about it uh, at some point. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so I, the, so I think the, the biggest thing for us is was that we managed to turn around that plan and validate it with as many investors and, and as many um, peers in the industry really fast. So that's like seven days ish. Oh, wow. The plan was A to Z ready, uh, which was pretty good. Um, that's pretty good. So that's. Thank you. I can barely yeah, tie so my shoes was, in seven was, days now. <laughs> It was a concerted effort, but it worked out, um, and and we started executing. Right, there was, um, you know, some things that I can't share, but sure. um, in terms of how, but I I can say that I'm really proud of how we've dealt with the different challenges in terms of employees, in terms of, um, you know, making sure that everybody stays, um, as I said, connected and transparency is demonstrated. Uh, make sure that we talk to our clients. Right, I mean. We have to know what they think and what they intend sure. to do, even if they don't know as much. But you have to have continuous conversations with your clients. Um, uh, we had to assume that the market isn't going to grow significantly at this point. Uh, maybe even plan for a downturn. I'm sure some people are talking about that. That feels safe. Um, yeah, and, and then just plan accordingly. Like you know, try to find a way to preserve cash. Try to find a way to find alternative um, sources of of, of income. Um, you know, everything you can basically think of. Um, we, I don't think we did anything particularly creative, but I think we did everything okay. by the book, which, which, is, which is, I think, um, good enough at this point. Um, everybody's talking about lemons and lemonades, right, within the business culture. It's like, yeah, life gives you Corona. Corona has lemon. Lemon makes lemonade. So, or maybe not lemon, maybe lime. But. Right, I was going to say. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Corona you're drinking in Israel, but <clears throat> over here. So you, I think one of the things you said is is actually really important, and I, I think it's something that's worth um, uh, worth reinforcing, which is the idea that yeah, I, I think being creative is great, but I think doing things by the book that's also pretty dang great right now. You know, that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Let's just button things up and be and shore things up, and you know, be smart business people and smart humans. You know. Yep, totally agree. Um, and also, I think there's room for creativity after you've done your due diligence, right? Absolutely. After you've done everything you needed to do. And then you say, okay, how now, how can I make this, turn this lime into lime juice? But exactly. otherwise, um, I think people who just tr said, and, and you know what, Robbie, honestly, I saw so many people um, trying to take advantage of COVID online, right? Like, and we have a really important, big deal now for COVID-19, blah, blah, blah. So like campaigns um, in March were just overbearing. Like you say, like, just leave me alone. I know you're trying to make lemonade. I wish I could help you, but this is too much. So just <laughs> right. lay low, you know, buzz off and do your thing. I've had enough citrus for the time being. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. There's with no playbook really for so much of this. Uh, I think it's, it's what I've heard a little bit in the few years. So you're the fourth conversation I've had, and I swear these are going to come out one day when I'm done editing them all. But the very first conversation I ended up having recorded, that's going to be edited for uh, releases. My second will be the second episode. And that's with Nelson Rodriguez, who's the 
president of the Chicago Fire uh, football club. Ooh. And what what it's what's amazing, uh, and you'll appreciate this, is that they went had just gone through a lengthy, deep, strategic, you know, forward-looking process. Rebranded, they hired a football head of football from Basel, who had won like eight league titles in a row. And for those of you who don't know European football, Basel is a Swiss club that is. Yeah, really, a, a powerhouse in a way Legendary. of uh, of uh, of soccer in Europe. Absolutely, I remember when Mohamed Salah destroyed Tottenham playing for Basel in the Champions oh, League yeah. or in the Europa League. Actually, he destroyed us from in Basel. He destroyed I us at Fiorentina. That. He destroyed us at Roma. He destroyed us at Chelsea, and he destroyed us at Liverpool. <laughs> he has done so much damage to Tottenham. But what a player, dude! I remember seeing him as a young player oh, at Basel. I was like, that guy's special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and by the way, anecdote to the people who like um, soccer or European football is that Barcelona, which is obviously the more um, well-known team, right? Um, actually, it was inspired by Basel with their jerseys, so that uh, you know, kind of pomegranate and, and blue uh, uniform that they have is actually inspired by Basel because their founder um, Hans Gumper was actually uh, originally from Basel, so that's that was his native team. Outstanding! I, I just it just dawned on me that they actually share the colors. Uh, yep. I didn't know it was pomegranate and blue. Now I, I feel like I learned something very special today. No, nah, not a coincidence. Yes, <laughs> I, I would know because I'm a hardcore Barcelona fan since I was at eleven. So that's like basically one fact out of many useless facts that I know. I love it. I've I've been I've been near the Camp Nou. I, I went to the gift shop. We didn't do the stadium tour though. Oh, what you a should place. next time. Oh, next without time. without question, we'll go back for sure. My wife said she'd moved to Barcelona, so I uh, we'll see. I can't blame her. <laughs> it's a wonderful place, wonderful place. So, uh, so Tottenham's just a side a side side hustle for you. Spurs is it just the whole? Yeah. I mean, we obviously we have a very tight connection with the Tottenham community, which is heavily Jewish. Uh, so exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I was looking for a reason to like a, a English soccer club. And um, actually, the reason I started like liking Tottenham was more so because of David Ginola. I don't know if you remember sure. this guy. Sure. Of course. Um, he, I was just infatuated with him as an as a, as a athlete and as a soccer player. And, you know, wherever he went, I followed him. So when he landed in Tottenham, I was like, okay, they're Jewish. He's Ginola. I'm going to like them. That's my team. Yeah. Um, and then I went to like two games that he played in. So that was pretty Oh, awesome. really? The and old White Hart Lane Stadium. I never got to go to the old White Hart Lane. You're a lucky man. So what do you what do you see coming out of this? Anything you're seeing that you think is going to stick in terms of how we do what we do, or is it just still too early to tell? Well, there's so many prophets saying what's going to happen, but honestly, nobody really knows. Right. Um, I think the one thing that people had learned is that remote works to some degree, right? Like people were skeptical in some industries, vertical Absolutely. sectors. Like we can't pull it off. I think education is the one that um, really took a turn for the for the better. Um, you know, uh, I would say my wife and not only my wife, everybody complains about how it wasn't ideally set up and how it's difficult to like you have a job and you need to teach your kids to be focused on their computer um, for like five hours at a time. It's not easy. At the same time, the <laughs> fact that those systems right which were so archaic so um really so the opposite of digital suddenly turned digital over basically like a week yes right the span right. of a week and i think this is amazing and that's going to be uh, hopefully adopted by um the education system worldwide 
Um, for our business, I think it's more so just knowing that meetings can be done without flying. Like you can actually shake hands virtually and still understand what the hell you do. Um, but there are probably going to be a lot of side effects that we probably can't think of right now or aren't as big for you know most of the listeners. I, it's interesting that with education, to me, it feels like the story that's really emerging is the fact that, again, it's a have, have not thing, right? Where kids that go to private school or that go to the school districts that were prepared for, you know, distance learning in some fashion, like even the kids having computers or internet service versus you've got pockets of, you know, poverty and stuff where people don't have yeah. an internet connection, right? Or they don't have, yeah. certainly don't have a laptop. Um, yeah. And so that becomes part of that. You know, hopefully what comes out of this is the recognition that, boy, we could shore that up quickly. You know, yeah. how hard would it be to get a few million computers in the hands of the kids that need them, right? Like just as a country, right. as a, I mean, it should be as a world, but we can't do that, you know, <laughs> just Absolutely. yet. But seriously, <laughs> right? Um, but what do you think about universities? I mean, I, I hear a lot about um, how Ivy League and top universities and colleges are going to be um, battling for traction because, you know, oh, suddenly you can learn online and it's viable and legit. What, what is your take on that? Yeah, that's interesting, right? Because it, it's, see, I, for, for me personally, I feel that one of the key elements that'll, that'll change the dynamic, but we're all unique and we learn different ways. And I know that there's some people that you put them in front of a computer to learn and they're in heaven. My son does just fine with that environment for some things, some things not so much. There's other kids who I think it really is a struggle where the in-person dynamic is, is really important. I think some instructors are going to be less effective in this environment than they are in the classroom where they can be vibrant and in motion. When I taught, as you might imagine, vibrant in motion, maybe, maybe a little too vibrant at times. I apologize to all of my political science students at the university of North Texas, but, um, but that's a part of how that happens. And so I think that's, you know, we'll see how that, that pans out, but, um, you know, the cat's out of the bag. For sure. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go back for a second just to, how are you doing on time? I'm great. I want to go back because I, I didn't finish my thought about sure. Nelson Rodriguez because I, I got sidetracked on the Basel thing. We started talking about <laughs> soccer. They had just concluded this pretty lengthy, very in-depth uh, strategic planning process, presented it to ownership, to the executive, uh, to the other executives there, to the board, I guess, since he's the president of the club. And it was accepted like as is, which I still find to be amazing. Uh, but it was pretty substantial. It involved moving to Soldier Field, rebranding the team, hiring the, the athletics director from, or the, the head of football from uh, FC Basel in, in Switzerland. But then what he told me is that now all that got put on hold, they're not playing any soccer. Soldier Field is empty. Right. And he said right. they're actually taking the opportunity to go back and rethink everything and just say, listen, let's go do a deeper dive because now we actually have some time. And I thought mm. that was pretty profound. It's not even, well, we did that. Let's go find something new to, to fix. It's like, let's pause and let's, we never get this opportunity. Right. I, always, I always tell every, every student I talk to, no matter what level they are, PhD student to a first grader, just you have to relish the time you have as a student because you never have a time where all you get to do is just sit and learn and just you ponder. think it, and you think it's yeah. a pain 
But then when you never have that time again, really, for any extended period of time, boy, you're going to miss it. I, so, usually, I wish you had told me that when I was a student. I wish I had told me that when I was a student. <laughs> I didn't learn it until I, until I saw the scarcity, right? When I saw the scarcity yeah. of time. The last yeah. time I had a real full block of time where all I did was like read was when I was a professor. I had a summer, a half summer off because I had to teach the other half summer because I couldn't afford to take a full summer off because that's what being a professor is like. <laughs> so, oh, listen, uh, Idan, thank you so much for joining me from the lovely uh, nation of Israel. And you're in Tel Aviv, is that right? I'm in Tel Aviv, yeah. yeah Living so with my parents, dude. That's lo I love Retro. it. I love that. And you went to Tel Aviv University. I think I told you this before that there's a uh, was a really big political scientist. Uh, actually, I connected with him. Or I sent him a LinkedIn connection today. His name is Zev Maus. He taught at Tel Aviv University for eight, ten years, and he did security studies and you know war stuff, which is what I was my my PhD is in poli sci, but I studied international relations, foreign policy, conflict. Did I tell you I also did poli sci? Uh, I think so. I think so. It's man it should be it's mandatory in uh, Israel, right? What, poli sign now? <laughs> yeah, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying there's a little bit going on there in the world of international relations and politics and stuff. Oh, yeah. I guess that's yeah. true everywhere, isn't it? So Yes, so. yes, it's true. <laughs> in the U.S. now, I think it doesn't get uh, anything less than poli sci every oh, single day. Like just watch CNN or Fox. I don't know what it is. It's the end of the world as we know it. I don't know that song. So... <laughs> uh, hey, listen, uh, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to see you. Give my best Likewise. to your family. Uh, thank you. And Likewise. I look forward to uh, seeing you again, either in Brooklyn or the Midwest or maybe out West when we move out there. So hopefully Wisconsin when uh, football is back in town. Yeah, which hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we're hopefully they are back in town this fall for all the right reasons. So. Hey, everyone, this is Robbie. Um, I'm recording this later, as you can tell, because the vo vocals are different, but Idan and I actually sat and played guitar for a few minutes trying to play Knocking on Heaven's Door together and sing together and stuff, and it was awful. It didn't work at all, but there's like a little bitty snippet and some discussion, so I'm going to share that on the way out. And just as a future note, today's May 20th when this is being released. It's taken me a while to get caught up here. I apologize, but... Um, you know, things are maybe looking a little bit up and not quite as dire as they seemed a month ago, which is, I think, an interesting an interesting element of this and something to be a little optimistic about. Um, so thanks again. This is Robbie. And until next time, we're out of office. <laughs> Go. <laughs> okay, we're too far off time. Good job. You should go like, knock, knock, knock. Dude, I was so going to do the Axl Rose voice. I, you have oh, no yeah. idea. I was like, I was so, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. That's so bad. <laughs> Next time we should go Bowie. I have to say that's the first time I've tried to jam online and it sucks. Yeah, it didn't work very well. <laughs> but it was a nice, uh, a nice, a nice ending. To the it was a good effort. Podcast. It was a good effort. Okay. Yeah. So we'll see what how much of that ends up in the <laughs> in the recording, but maybe maybe more than we think.